You're listening to The Media Narrative. I'm Rob Hoschel. Today's guest, Julie Shapiro, is the executive producer of Radiotopia from PRX. You've probably heard or heard of several of Radiotopia's big shows, such as 99% Invisible and Song Exploder. Earlier in her career, Shapiro was a co-founder and artistic director of the Third Coast International Audio Festival and has for years played a key role in the extraordinary growth of narrative audio and podcasting. Julie Shapiro, thanks so much for talking today. I'm so happy to do so. I feel really fortunate to have this time with you today. Here I am with my new little podcast, and you're the executive producer of one of the most creative and influential podcast networks in the world. So it's great to get to talk to you. Um, Before we jump in, I should also mention that we're doing this interview in Boston's podcast garage, where you're often seen hosting events and uh, interacting with producers and the rest of the podcast community. Tell me a little bit more about what the podcast garage is all about. Sure. Well, this is a really amazing new space that PRX started about a year ago. We are coming up on our year anniversary and it's really um, the the point of the podcast garage is to help build a community here in Boston around podcasting and to provide a space where podcasters, wannabe podcasters, veterans, newbies alike can come and record in the broadcast quality uh, settings. Although it's funny we say broadcast quality, even though it's all for podcast, but um, very high <laughs> high quality recordings can be made here. And then there's also a social sense of what's going on here where you can come and meet other people uh, come and hear talks by producers, um, mingle. They do a lot of maker mingles where it's really all about getting people in a space together that have some similar goals around podcasting and skill sharing and learning from each other. And then, you know, bringing those skills into the studio where you can rent for very reasonable prices comparatively and then hopefully get people on their way to making their podcasts. Yeah, it's a fantastic space. I've been here a number of times and it's amazing to see how many people are interested in podcasting and coming out to it. And as far as I know, there's nothing like quite like this anywhere else in the country. I think there will be very soon. I think we, you know, we, we might have beat the crowd, but you know, this is podcasting has just taken on such a uh, sort of exuberance uh, in the mainstream media for listeners and makers alike. So I think these sorts of things are in demand, these spaces where you can go and learn and record. I know some co-working spaces are starting to uh, include studio rentals in, in some of their membership fees. But as far as we know, well, it certainly is probably the only garage that's been converted, actual garage converted <laughs> into a podcast studio. So but we can claim that. But I'm, if if we're not the first, we're, we're one of the first. And we hope that, uh, you know, maybe one day there'll be podcast garages in other cities and that other people are doing them too, because it's really the right time to capitalize on all this energy and all the ideas that people have to um, make their own podcasts. Here, here. Well, let's let's talk about Radiotopia's newest podcast, Ear Hustle. It was the winner among, let me make sure I have this number right, 1,537 entries in the PodQuest competition. So what made Ear Hustle stand out from other PodQuest finalists, and what kind of stories will we hear in this first season? Well, to give us a little bit of context, so we ran this PodQuest competition over a year ago because we thought that we would invite brand new ideas into the Radiotopia landscape and try to get at hearing, uh, you know, more diverse creative ideas from people with different experiences. So it's sort of an experiment on our part to say who's out there. Certainly we get pitched all day long, every week, every day. So we thought like, let's give a vessel for all of these ideas to come through, a, a, you know, a, a particular sort of 
conduit into a way that we could consider choosing one to be the next Radiotopia show. We ran the contest. We got all those entries. Um, Ear Hustle stood out immediately simply because there were no other pitches for podcasts from San Quentin Prison, which is what it is. It's stories told uh, by inmates living at San Quentin about life in prison. So it's not a producer going in and doing a show about these people. It is these men telling their own stories um, with a collaborator, an outside collaborator, a visual artist who has been working with them. So uh, they pitched the idea. It really stood out on its own. It stood out because it was original. We had never heard anything like that. There wasn't anything out there already like that. There was an energy in the pitch. There was a real excitement about the idea. There was passion that came through even, you know, through the digital submission. Um, each entrant had to also submit a two-minute promo or sort of introduction to the show. So what they submitted, we heard the voices. We started getting a sense for this team behind the idea. Um, so it got into the top 50 sort of on its own. And then an interesting part of this story, I think, is that we also had about 100 donors to Radiotopia who had given to our fundraiser the year before. And they gave it a level to help us um, spend some of this pilot fund money that we had from the Knight Foundation, which had given Radiotopia a very sizable grant to sort of get to the next level. So we had this pilot fund. PodQuest, the competition, was part of uh, working with the pilot fund. So we brought these listeners, these donors, these Radiotopia fans in at that f top 50 level and said, well, what do you think? What do you want to hear? And, you know, almost unanimously, everyone pointed to Ear Hustle. So that got it from 50 into the 10. I had to, you know, as, an, as a manager, I had to say, well, we're making our decisions based on network needs and wants and desires, but this is what the listeners are interested in. So it went from 50, it got into the top 10, at which point we did an interview uh, with the team, Nigel, Poor, Antoine Williams, and Erlon Woods, and they had to sort of, uh, sort of sit around a folding chair and use their office, an officer's cell phone to do the interview because there's mm -hmm. no calls in or out. And we had this great frank conversation about how hard this would be, how awesome it could be, but how hard it would be. And we asked the hard questions and they had great answers and the energy between them again was very clear. I started to get a real sense for the trust between the team, the chemistry there. And so they got into the top four, which meant they were given um, $10,000. All the, all the finalists had $10,000 to make three episodes. So they had to work hard on making three pilot episodes over the summer. And at that point, we compared all of the episodes from the four finalists, had a vote, and decided that Ear Hustle was still the strongest idea with the most potential and the one that we really wanted to support. It also was doing something so important and impactful and meaningful on so many levels. So besides being a great creative idea, there was all of this heart and impact behind the idea. Yeah, we live in this age when there's all these very popular television shows and other ways the media focuses on prison, but this is real insight and the episodes that I've heard really give you uh, an idea of what it is actually like to be in there. It's quite amazing. And you always think about audience too. Like we just knew there'd be an audience for this. Um, it bore out in the selection process, but also clearly, you know, anything touching crime or prison culture is popular right now. So we thought, well, how can we do that in a Radiotopia way, which is to put a spin on what you usually would hear and go deeper, hear real stories from real people who are also driven by a creative urge to make art out of this. And that's where I was really attracted to this idea that you could tell these stories in creative, beautiful ways as well. And it didn't all have to be hardcore investigative journalism. There's plenty of awesome work in that field, but what could we do alongside all of that to portray these stories in a way that felt true to their vision and true to Radiotopia's vision? 
Well, I've done some volunteering in prison, so I'm curious what the challenges are that Ear Hustle has in common with all podcasts and also what are the unique challenges of a prison produced podcast um well yes as you well know by now making a podcast is hard i was going to use an expletive but it is hard (laughs) i I will will spare your listeners um and so they are experiencing some of the things that all podcasters experience um what are the right stories to tell what are the you know how do you tell them most efficiently how do you tell them differently how do you keep to a timeline i will say they're sort of workflow deadline timeline constraints are much more severe than most podcasters. Uh, First thing to know, there's no internet in San Quentin, so they have never heard podcasts inside. They can't work with Nigel, who comes in almost every day now. You know, they only get to work while she's there, so there are no follow-up calls. They can't slack each other. There's no texting. Uh, There's no quick retakes, like just, you know, pop back into the studio and retake that. You said the you stressed the wrong syllable, so the sort of... um, the workflow of editing and giving feedback and then going back in and re- re-recording and coming back out, some of that can take you know two full days to do around instead of a couple of hours. So, the uh, it takes a lot longer. And they've you know none of them have made podcasts before, so or or done really much audio storytelling. They had worked um, on a program called Cross Currents that works with KLW, so they'd done some reporting for them and in a kind of you know four minute feature reporting, which was great. But Ear Hustle came out of a desire by the team to do something more long form and bring a more creative artistic um, approach to telling these stories. So they really had no experience doing it. So they are learning, they're like, their learning curve is so steep. They're embracing that. They're uh, acknowledging how hard it is, but also really learning these skills um, and really like quick studies. Uh, there's so much enthusiasm. There's so much drive and devotion and support from their fellow inmates, support from the administration that, you know, the, it's it's um, a pressure cooker in there just to get everything done on time and in the right way. But But there's a lot of support as well. Well, they're doing great work and everyone should listen to it for sure. So you've been at this for quite a while, uh, Third Coast and the work you did in Australia, and you have a lot of experience in the world of audio storytelling. So I'm just curious in general what you have learned makes a successful audio narrative. Well, it's not one thing. You know, sometimes there's sort of adages out there like tension is good for story and you need a compelling character and you know I always start thinking first and foremost about what I'm hearing and what is the audio component of any story that you're listening to bring to listening to it what can you be listening to versus reading on the page um what kind of relationship are you developing with whoever's talking if it's a narrated piece um how are you getting to know the characters if it's not a narrated piece where are the spaces between the action so how does uh, a story become dimensional in a way through listening uh, to really get people's attention, especially nowadays where there's such a volume of content out there? Um, you know, what are the ones that stand out and draw me in personally? It's it's unusual stories. It's unusual formats. It's stories with unforgettable characters. It's complicated stories that don't just tie up well in the end. I love stories that end on questions, not answers. Um, but this is like for highly produced crafted storytelling. I'm also, you know, I listen to a lot of politics podcasts and, uh, entertaining podcasts. Like we have, uh, a show that I never would have thought I would be into, but the West Wing Weekly, which Radiotopia brought in last fall has become one of my favorite shows because I had never watched the West Wing. Um, cause I just wasn't watching TV around the time that was out. So now I'm watching every episode and listening to the podcast and having a real sort of experience with the podcast of, uh, you know, I, I'm sort of addicted to it. I want to hear exact, I want to hear the 
the brilliant insights that Josh and Rishi have about the episodes right after I watch the episode. So it's mm-hmm. fun to have that experience as kind of just a user, you know, regular user experience. Um, so I should say that all of that to say that my listening's really diversified in the past few years. Um, through all of my time at the Third Coast International Audio Festival, we supported long-form creative approaches to storytelling, um, which is still very much something I care deeply, deeply about. Now the world I'm in touches on all of these other genres and a lot of different kinds of content. So I think differently about what I'm hearing, about what my standards are for the chattier shows. You know, what are the ones I'm personally interested in hearing and why I think about it a lot. I don't have all the answers, but I do feel like I'm still always craving originality, a certain chemistry that is hard to define, but you you do kind of know it when you hear it. Um, someone, you know, introducing me to things I wouldn't have thought about otherwise. And, you know, the, the entertaining side is in there as well. So it's a mishmash. Um, I will say I don't hear as much beautiful artistic content as I once did more regularly, and mm-hmm. I kind of miss that. And I feel like I'm not often blown away by something. I like an awful lot, but it's less and less common that I'm blown away by an audio offering. Well, what you just said reminds me of this transom post that you wrote about radio art mm. reflecting on your work in Australia, uh, where some readers seem to have the patience to really listen to sort of high art audio and some didn't. How did those experiences sort of inform the way you're making decisions these days at Radiotopia? When I was in Australia, I had this amazing opportunity to be part of a very small team that was able to pay artists for incredibly complex audio work that was aired nationally. I mean, this was an amazing thing. We had a show called Soundproof and had a co-producer, Miyuki Yokiranta, and we just were able to pay sound artists from all over the world to make beautiful work for us. It was such a privilege and an honor. The show no longer exists. We know there's not a huge audience for that kind of work. Um, I think as a podcast, it probably could live on and have a decent following. But the experience of getting to actually stand behind that work, uh, push my own limits of understanding what it was for and what was valuable about it, um, was so, it was such a great culmination of, you know, over a decade of caring and being interested and, and listening to a lot of that work to be able to then be in a position to foster some of it and nurture some of it and understand for our show what was valuable and what wasn't um, and who the makers were out there that were that we were interested in supporting and giving the opportunities. I've come away from it sort of missing some of that. I mean, it's not for everyone and I wouldn't want it all the time. I miss that it I miss that it doesn't exist anymore. I mean, I miss it and I'm sad it doesn't exist anymore. On the other hand, I don't think I could invite Soundproof to be the next Radiotopia podcast because mm-hmm. I also understand that now it's a business and we're in an industry and audience size matters and you know, there's a lot more um, calculations that are made behind every decision anymore. It's very different. Right. And, and, you know, the kind the kind of work I listened to all of those clips that were on that post, and it almost sounds like the sort of thing that you would hear in maybe a museum in this country more than on the radio, say. And it's sort of too bad in a way. But what I do hear in some of the Radiotopia podcasts is the kind of sound captured and integrated into podcasts that help listeners who are patient enough really create images in their own minds. And to me, that's what was happening in Australia. And that's what I hear from time to time in some of these other podcasts. Absolutely. That's, there's the continuity there. Like for me to come back uh, to this country to get involved with Radiotopia was, it made perfect sense because it kind of married what I was able to do there with what I had been doing um, in this new format of the podcast, you know, the crazy podcast, Wild Wild West, um, 
where everything has been exploding and this kind of manic energy behind all of it. Um, but I do think the, a lot of the Radiotopia shows are um, very sound informed and sound respecting. And some of them are influenced by some of the very producers we were working with. So, you know, it's, it's, there's a, there's definitely a through line there. Um, I think, you know, the soundproof show in Australia was one end of an extreme. Um, and some of the Radiotopia shows get kind of close to that, but, you know, live comfortably in a space of experimentation and, and sound richness. And I would say all of our shows understand the value of the sound. I mean, even West Wing Weekly, which is pretty much a talk show about a TV program, they pull audio in all the time. They understand like the, the value of kind of illustrating, showing, not just telling, but letting listeners hear the things they're talking about. So even though you might think of it as at a as a conversation podcast, I feel like there's so much production, there's so much thought into um, how to break up the texture of the show. And, and that's something that's important too, that you know, shows that have a different sonic texture. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe that's another through line for the Radiotopia shows too. And music is obviously very important in a lot of these shows. And I was interested to learn recently how important music has been in your life and you worked in record stores when you were younger you went on tour with a band at one point and you talk about radiotopia as something like a punk rock record label so i wondered if you could say more about the connections between music and your passion for it and what you all are doing at radiotopia sure i think that, um for me and in my career trajectory the music came first i was an avid record store girl and i listened to lots of things and started um gravitating toward more experimental music uh, way back when. And so some of those listening habits, that sort of um, reverence for the idea of listening, the experience of listening carried through into the stories that I was then drawn to and started working with, you know, at the very beginning of getting into the radio world and Third Coast and everything. So, um, you know, something about the stories often told in the Radiotopia shows is they're scored, of course, they include music, but they're also very musical. So there's a real rhythm involved and um, different layers of sound and depth of sound. So whether it's actual music or a sense of musicality, I think like that is what makes a listening experience more than, you know, a, a stream of linear information, but it takes it into that more dimensional space where you're getting more from the experience than just the information you're taking. And you ha there's room for emotion. There's a sense of an emotional um, expanse that can open up through and that's the kind of reaction you could have when you're listening to music I mean the sad thing for me is that I really barely ever listen to music anymore because I have so many podcasts to listen to that if I'm walking down the street on a beautiful day and I want to put on a, a music a record a cd and anything I, I start feeling guilty that I'm not actually catching up on my podcast so that has definitely suffered with the um as the podcasts have taken over there's a little less music in my life and that is sad that is sad. And that brings me to the next thing I wanted to ask you about, actually, because many years ago when these portable listening devices first became so prevalent, I suddenly found that I was listening to music more than I ever had or than I had in many, many years. And now, like you say, for those of us who are interested in audio storytelling and podcasting, now we're probably shifting more in this other direction and listening to music less. So I want to kind of just geek out a little bit here about your podcast listening habits because I would guess not too many people listen to podcasts as much as Julie Shapiro. They're probably out there, but um, I'm wondering how many unlistened to podcasts do you have on your phone right now? Unlistened to? It's in the high 20s. High 20s. That's yeah. pretty good. Uh, I get, yeah, I'm, I'm very unhappy if it's over 10, but I, it's just almost impossible to chip away quickly enough. Um, traveling is good. I get a lot of listening done when I'm traveling. So I keep up with all the Radiotopia shows happily. You know, that's the best homework ever. 
Um, and then, of course, I need to know what else is out there. I need to understand how different networks are introducing new shows, keeping old shows going. I've got, you know, a bajillion producers from my past years with Third Coast who are doing great work that I want to keep up on. I'm looking to be surprised and delighted all the time. So I'm checking out everything new that I can get my ears on. Um, but it's pretty constant. It doesn't slow down, you know. And so, um, you know, I fight with my husband to do the dishes because that's, that's an episode or two. And uh, we're seriously contemplating getting a dog again so I can just have to walk the dog and keep listening. I mean, you have to really jam it in. Um, I will say the more informational shows I speed up because I think that that is fine. I felt guilty at first. I do not anymore. You know, I'm just getting politics analysis. I don't need that in real time. Um, but, you know, the highly crafted work, I always slow down and try to really remember why I'm listening and what it's for and what the value of actually hearing it, how the producers produce it. I mean, I also feel great sympathy for producers ever considering people speeding their work up because it just feels like the ultimate fuck you, really. But um, <laughs> it's not, I promise. I mean, it just really depends on what you're listening to, what you're coming to it for, what you need to get out of it, I think. So what app do you use then to speed up your podcast? I do the same thing. Um, I go back and forth between Overcast, which I love, and Radio Public, mm. which I'm, I'm getting more used to. It's so hard to change your listening habits when you've got something that works. Um, but, you know, Radio Public has come out with all these other features that are really interesting and kind of fun. And so I'm also using it to understand how other people are using it and what, what our shows might get out of it. And so kind of every decision I make is on a few levels. It's on a personal level. It's also on a like, what does this mean to everyone else around me? And, you know, what is the impact and how can I understand that and contribute to that conversation as well? It's interesting that iTunes has this huge impact on the industry. And yet there's a lot of people who don't use it that much. Yeah, more and more, actually. You know, we still pay a close attention to the charts, to what they're doing, to what they're saying. And, um, you know, sometimes that's just the path of least resistance to get someone into the game. Um, so, yeah, I feel like, you know, they they recently had a big announcement about sharing more analytics and that's a big deal. And, you know, all that stuff is changing what's going on out there, the conversations that are being had. Um, and, you know, it's kind of the other side of this whole culture that I came from, which was all about content and the experience and sharing great work with as many people as possible. And now we're doing that plus this whole other half of it, which is metrics and business and um, all about sponsorships and ads and technology. And so it's totally fascinating. I've learned so much in the last year and a half um, that was always sort of the backseat of what I was involved with before. Now, now, the, now it's riding co-pilot for sure. So how would you divide up that pie of your work day? Like how much of it is spent on like sort of really working on content with mm. producers directly and how much is more on that other, the industry and the trends and all that? It's starting to balance out a bit more. For a while, it was really overwhelmed by the industry and the trends because I was trying to catch up and understand what it was all about, you know, and that, that does, it takes a while and it's changing at all times. Um, but I do, I mean, all the Radiotopia shows are creatively independent, but I'm happy to lend an ear when I asked and I get asked a little bit more often now. So that's always a total pleasure to stop and listen to something and give some feedback. Um, I was very involved editorially with Ear Hustle, just giving guidance at the like zooming out big picture level and helping uh, with the launch get going. So that, that was really rewarding and really great to get back into a content mindset and think about audience and think about sound and think about what the stories deserved and how to best tell them. Um, and then we're developing a new podcast called Showcase that's coming out in August, which is going to be uh, a Radiotopia podcast with limited run series of all stripes from people from all over. So we'll launch with a six episode podcast about listening culture. And then maybe a couple of weeks later, we're going to drop a sort of thriller nonfiction serial story about a 
video game conspiracy theory from the 80s. And then a couple of weeks later, maybe something else entirely from Sweden, you know, so that'll be an opportunity to get a little bit more into the content side of things and consider and give some, you know, high level oversight on that. Great. Everything under the name Showcase. All Showcase. Different- yeah. Nice. Yeah. Okay. You gave a really great talk at the Power of Narrative Conference in Boston this year, and there was a lot of interesting subjects that you brought up. One of the things you mentioned was podcast categories, and you sort of had this nice way of breaking up this massive world of podcasting and breaking it down into a very understandable way. I wonder if you could uh, talk about that a little bit. What were some of those major categories? And also, where do you see this going? What, where are the opportunities? Are there untapped categories? Oh, it's just the million-dollar question, or maybe not million-dollar, the $1,000 question. Um, well, the taxonomy of podcast genres for the 20-teens, or it had some ridiculous title like that, it was all a little bit tongue-in-cheek, um, and I thought it was, I hoped it was a playful yet respectful take on, um, you know, a little bit uh, making fun of these so obvious categories that some of the podcasts are, are falling into. It came out of the PodQuest experience because we had so many ideas, you know, pitched to us that there were some obvious threads and commonalities and and trends. Um, But I was also thinking about what's out there already and what is big and what's popular and what are people drawn toward. Thought it would be fun to try to kind of create a very informal and unscientific taxonomy of podcast genres. So, oh, you probably remember more than me. There was, you know, of course there's, um, well, the crime cast was a big one because of course everything criminal or related to criminal crimes and the justice system is wildly popular. We're experiencing that with Ear Hustle as well, even though it's a great it's a great um, opportunity to talk about how it's not actually a crime cast. It's about life lived in prison. But I also, I recently was thinking about the court cast, which is actually all these new uh, stories that come up and you get walked through the court case and there's deep analysis and a lot of context leading up to court cases. That's become more popular. Um, there are things like the journal cast, the pot, the very personal podcasts. Um, oh, I'm blinking right now. Chum which one? cast? That was chum or Oh, the chum cast. cast. The chum or chat cast. Yeah, where, you know, two friends get around some microphones and just talk about whatever. And often there's alcohol involved. Um, <laughs> a WTF cast was another one you mentioned. And actually Roman Mars's newest venture maybe falls into that category. Right. Sort of a response to the world collapsing around us. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the emergency podcast episode is quite a thing these days. Um, an, a staple of the WTF cast, right. I would say. Right. Um, there was, there was the kind of, uh, serial story told with like one episode that had nothing to do with the rest of the story but kind of stuck in there maybe to extend the life of the series a tangential episode was a hallmark of some of those serial casts um i recently added the paw cast or the hmm. paw cast because i kept hearing podcasters fathers showing up in their episodes like i listened to six or seven episodes almost in a row where all of a sudden so-and-so's father was weighing in on this so i thought oh and actually on the show yeah exactly so the dad the dad cast um Mm. yeah it's been fun it's you know there are always new ones to add to the pile um is there anything you'd like to see more of out there i get asked that a lot and it's like i don't know if i have the bandwidth to actually stop and go what aren't i hearing you know of course more diverse voices from different countries would be great i really feel like we're so north america centric um and you know there are different cultures of radio of audio making in other places and i certainly learned that when i was in australia i learned it all throughout my time at third coast and it's just it's just a pity that i would say like most people don't think about that or have the opportunity to hear that um so every time i hear about shows coming out of africa there's a few projects going on in eastern europe i mean these are incredible they may not hit the standards people expect from the shows they listen to. And so there's a kind of 
generosity of spirit you have to bring to some of those other listening experiences. Um, I have said it before. I will say it again. I think there is not a great smart show about animals. I think like that's a huge missing show is like a really meaningful, well-told, impactful show about animals and humans' relationship to animals. Um, you were a big horse person. I was. As a child, I right? have talked about the pony cast <laughs> before in an interview. I'll mention it every uh, every opportunity. Um, yeah, I just think you know, there's just space for everything at the end of the day. Now, it doesn't mean that every podcast is going to succeed and make money and you know become a career for its producer. But that's the beauty of this moment is like that isn't everyone's ambition. Sure, it is for some, but like a lot of people just want the opportunity to experiment talk about things, explore, you know, scratch their own itches, whether they're doing that for other listeners as well. I mean, there's a tipping point too, right? Like there's 350,000, 400,000 podcasts out there. There's 24 hours in the day. I mean, I joke about the space-time continuum being a real constraint now because you just can't, you know, there's a limit to what you actually can hear in the course of a day. And I think the danger is, you know, as the administrator of a network with legacy beloved shows you know do listeners stay loyal to those as these other new ones come along you know, i'm very interested in listener culture and how alliances shift and not just alliances because that implies you're making a choice but sometimes you just you just have too much to get to the ones you always loved and you want to try something new or a show goes on hiatus do listeners hang in there and wait for it to come back like all these questions we wonder as we work with the producers and trying to strategize you know their best plans their best foot forward in keeping their audience and growing their audience and continuing to engage the audience and, and be and live up to their listeners expectations it's a lot it's a lot it is a lot it's not easy to do you're right and to your point about how much there is to listen to for everybody out there another thing that i'm really trying to take to heart from your power of narrative talk was to keep podcasts short especially interview mm. podcasts like this one what was what's your ideal length of a interview podcast or a podcast Oh, it so depends. I mean, you know, if something's great, you could listen to it forever, but you can't if you have 47 other new episodes to hear and it's your job to listen. So I do have a preference for the like, oh, it depends on my mood. Sometimes I think the 18 to 22 minute is great. No, I mean, you know, today I feel like the 22 to 28 minute podcast is a really satisfying experience that doesn't feel like it's selfishly asking to take over your life for too long. Um, but of course there are things that should be much shorter and there are things that definitely can go longer and keep attention for an hour. Uh, I mean, it really, it just so depends on what your listeners coming with in terms of expectation and what they want out of what you're giving. So, but I generally find most conversational podcasts should be shorter, could be shorter, should be shorter. I hope will be shorter someday. Well, that's what I'm going to try to do today <laughs> and bring this one to a close right now. Good Julie on you. Thank you for that. <laughs> Thanks so much for the time today, Julie Shapiro. Oh, it's been so fun and good luck with your show. I mean, you said at the beginning, um, you know, you're my little podcast and the exciting thing about being where I'm at is, yes, I'm working with huge, enormous shows, but I'm also so curious about the ones starting out and, you know, uh, be curious to hear your answers to some of the questions that you asked me. So maybe you should turn the mic on yourself at some point. At some point. That sounds good. <laughs> Thanks again. All right. My pleasure. Learn more about Julie Shapiro and her work at Radiotopia.fm. You'll find show notes and links for this episode and others at TheMediaNarrative.com. This episode was edited and mixed by Isaac Kotecki. The theme music was composed and recorded by Matt Jensen. I'm Rob Hoschel. Thanks for listening. <laughs>